This episode contains depictions of death and suicide that some people may find disturbing. We advise caution for listeners under 13. On Sunday, August 11th, 1991, a reporter named Dan Bischoff was hard at work in his office. Bischoff was the national affairs editor of The Village Voice. He and the Pulitzer Prize-winning team were burning the midnight oil to get the Monday edition to print. Then, Bischoff's phone rang. When he answered, the anonymous caller refused to reveal his name, but said he had information related to the 1980 October surprise scandal. Allegedly, President Ronald Reagan had paid the Iranian government to prevent the release of American hostages. The man said if The Voice wanted the truth, they should look into a reporter's disappearance in West Virginia. Then the line went dead. Bischoff was likely unfazed. He frequently received calls about impending scandals, cover-ups, and missing journalists. These tips often turned out to be crank calls or ramblings from paranoid conspiracy theorists. They were rarely true. But the next day, authorities from Martinsburg, West Virginia, announced the death of an investigative reporter named Danny Casolaro. Bischoff was stunned to learn that Casolaro had been working on a story about the October surprise and the shadowy cabal of intelligence officers behind it. The Martinsburg police ruled Casolaro's death a suicide. But whoever had called Bischoff on Sunday night thought otherwise. This mysterious figure knew about Casolero's work. In fact, he'd suggested that it got him killed. Which begs the question, what really happened to Danny Casolero? Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our second episode on Danny Casolaro and the Octopus. Casolaro was a reporter who investigated a shadowy cabal of ex-CIA agents who he believed controlled the world. The octopus may have orchestrated the Bay of Pigs invasion, the 1979 Iran hostage crisis, and even President John F. Kennedy's assassination. Last time, we learned how Casolero became embroiled in the octopus case. He began investigating the Inslaw scandal, which alleged that the Justice Department illegally stole a data management software called Promise. That led him down a rabbit hole of intelligence operatives and secret missions. And in 1991, he was found dead under mysterious circumstances. Authorities ruled it a suicide. 
This episode, we'll take a deeper look at Casalero's evidence on the octopus. We'll examine whether government agents framed his informant, Michael Reconosciuto, in order to keep him quiet. Then we'll expand our scope to the octopus as a whole. We'll debate whether Casalero's theory was true and if he was murdered for getting too close to exposing it. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened, I'm okay, other people have it worse, it doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd started to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. In 1990, an investigative reporter named Danny Casalero learned about the Inslaw scandal. The Justice Department had licensed a powerful information management software called Promise. Supposedly, they violated their contract with the manufacturer, Inslaw, and sold it to other governments around the world. One of the key witnesses in the case was a man named Michael Reconosciuto. He told Inslaw's founder that federal operatives had paid him to alter Promise before selling it to foreign entities. This information became the foundation of Casalera's investigation into the octopus. The problem was, soon after Reconosciuto became involved in the lawsuit, authorities charged him with distribution of methamphetamine. This destroyed his credibility as a witness, but maybe that was the whole point. Perhaps Reconosciuto's real crime was telling the truth about the Inslaw scandal. 
Which leads us to conspiracy theory number one. The U.S. government hired Michael Riconosciuto to alter promise, and when he came clean, they framed him and then imprisoned him. In the spring of 1990, Inslaw had been battling the Justice Department in court for nearly half a decade. They suspected the government had merely violated their contract until Inslaw's founder received a call suggesting this case was just the tip of an iceberg. Riconosciuto contacted the software developer to say that Inslaw's legal troubles were connected to a larger conspiracy theory. One where the Reagan administration paid Iran $40 million to prevent them from releasing American hostages before the 1980 election. Allegedly, he was in the room when a man named Earl Bryan negotiated that deal with the Iranian government. In exchange, Reagan's administration handed Bryan the promised software, allowing him to sell it all over the world. Riconosciuto's testimony created a frenzy and captured Danny Casolero's attention. The two men spent months discussing the case and Riconosciuto's exploits around the world. These conversations illuminated a massive conspiracy theory, the octopus. Riconosciuto claimed that in the 1980s, he worked for a private security company called Wackenhut. His office was located on the Cabazon Native American Reservation in California, and supposedly, Wackenhut's partnership with the Cabazon tribe exempted them from federal regulations. Riconosciuto said Earl Bryan was a frequent visitor to the Wackenhut operations at Cabazon. He would have been involved as Riconosciuto supposedly developed and sold weapons to governments all over the world. But their collaboration didn't stop there. Riconosciuto said that he and Brian also dealt in information, backroom deals and bribes. Their most infamous alleged mission took place in Iran. Riconosciuto claimed to have photographs of himself and Brian in Iran. He also said his passport would confirm that he traveled there several times that year. And he promised to turn over tax documents, proving he and Brian worked for Wackenhut during that time. But none of this evidence ever materialized. That made sense to Casalero. He believed Riconosciuto wasn't just working for the Reagan administration or Wackenhut. He was Octopus's puppet. This shadowy organization wanted Reagan elected and was willing to funnel millions through Riconosciuto and Brian to do it. Casolero wasn't the only person to suspect this. Accusations flew throughout the Inslaw trial. Finally, the attorney general decided to get to the bottom of this fiasco. He assigned a federal judge named Nicholas Bua to lead a special counsel investigation into the Justice Department's use of promise. Bua and his team started by examining Riconosciuto's initial affidavit, in which he said that he worked on promise between 1983 and 1984. But they found that on several other occasions, he'd claimed to have worked on the software as early as 1981. This discrepancy is important because Inslaw didn't license promise to the Justice Department until 1983. The timeline wasn't just inconsistent, it was impossible. 
Still, some of Reconosciuto's testimony did stand up to scrutiny. The special counsel interviewed witnesses who verified that he worked at the Cabazon Native American Reservation. Many recalled that Reconosciuto spent a lot of time in a mobile office behind the reservation's casino. This area was secluded, the perfect place for sensitive operations. And during this time, the Cabazon tribe did have a business relationship with Wackenhut. But Reconosciuto was never listed as one of their employees. Furthermore, there was no evidence that Wackenhut worked on weapons of mass destruction. Their primary focus was night vision technology. And even more importantly, Wackenhut only bid on two U.S. contracts during their joint venture with the Cabazon. It didn't win either of them. That is, if you believe the official story. Reconosciuto maintained that he worked for shadowy intelligence operatives. They may have covered their tracks and made it look like Wackenhut had nothing to do with weapons development. The octopus could have had the ability to fabricate this evidence. But don't forget, some of Reconosciuto's claims about his work on Promise aren't even physically possible. He claimed the software could track people and predict the course of Russian submarines. But Inzla's founder says it can only log and track data, like an Excel sheet. It takes a human being to look at that information and decide what to do with it. Despite these limits, Promise was still extremely valuable. Earl Bryan could have sold it around the world for a hefty profit. But when special counsel investigators approached Brian, he claimed he'd never even met Reconosciuto. He certainly hadn't paid $40 million to the Iranian government. And he insisted that he'd never set foot on the Cabazon reservation, nor was he a Wackenhut employee. However, after a bit of digging, investigators found a report titled, Nicaraguans and Earl Bryan at Lake Cahuilla. It seemingly proved that both Brian and Reconosciuto had worked for Wackenhut in 1981. The report was from September 10, 1981, when an officer from the Indio, California Police Department covertly surveilled a Wackenhut arms demonstration. The company was showing their night vision technology at a shooting range. The officer recorded the attendees' names, including Michael Reconosciuto and Earl Bryan. And this was big. The report meant Bryan was lying, and that Reconosciuto's testimony may be true after all. But like everything else Reconosciuto said, this evidence soon fell apart. Bryan was likely on the other side of the country when this demonstration took place. The day before, on September 9th, Brian had flown from Washington, D.C. to New York, and receipts show that on September 10th, he booked a limousine in New York to drive him home from his office. Further investigation showed that the officer at Lake Cahuilla never actually identified Earl Brian. An attorney created the document while working on an unrelated case and based it on Reconosciuto's testimony. He didn't actually verify the details his client told him, details Reconosciuto provided to defend himself against drug charges. Which brings us to Reconosciuto's final claim, that the government framed him in retaliation for telling the truth about the Inslaw case. 
The Federal Drug Enforcement Agency arrested him for the distribution of methamphetamines in 1991. It was only nine days after he signed his written affidavit against the Justice Department. Well, that timing is suspicious. However, authorities had been watching him for a long time before he testified against them. And the police apparently got his name from a small-time drug dealer in Tacoma, Washington, who identified Reconosciuto in exchange for a more lenient sentence. Tacoma detectives staked out Reconosciuto's house and determined he was manufacturing massive amounts of methamphetamine. They reached out to federal authorities for assistance. That was when the DEA first became involved. They videotaped Reconosciuto personally delivering meth to buyers. When they searched his home, they found an improvised lab and enough material to produce nearly 30 pounds of the drug. Reconosciuto's defense was that the government faked the video of him and planted the physical evidence. He claimed the Justice Department had a vendetta against him for his participation in the Inslaw case. But the jury didn't buy his story. He was found guilty of all charges. Despite the overwhelming evidence against him, Reconosciuto never wavered from his narrative. At his sentencing, the judge declared he couldn't be sure whether Reconosciuto could tell fact from fiction. If he was a con man, he was certainly one of the best. In prison, his claims grew even more fantastical. He allegedly told one reporter that he'd witnessed the autopsy of an alien body. The interviewer didn't buy it and later said, quote, Reconosciuto would have told anyone anything to get out of prison, end quote. It's clear that Reconosciuto brazenly lied about his drug business. His accusations that the government doctored a video of him distributing his product has little basis in reality. And it's safe to say his claims about altering promise are similarly fabricated. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most believable, I give conspiracy theory number 1 a 2 out of 10. You make some good points. On the other hand, Michael Reconosciuto is exactly the type of person the octopus would hire for their shadowy operations. He's smart, but easy to discredit publicly. While much of his testimony is probably unreliable, there could be a kernel of truth in there. I give this theory a 3 out of 10. Whether the claims were true or not, Danny Casolaro certainly believed him. Reconosciuto's testimony helped shape his octopus investigation, an inquiry that ended with Casolaro's unexpected death. And there are still a lot of questions about the way he died. Coming up, Danny Casolaro meets an untimely end. Hi, listeners. They say there's someone for everyone. A soul to share your secrets with. A companion to grow old with. A conspirator to commit crimes with. Starting this February on Spotify, learn about the lethal and legendary lovers who fought the law in the ParCast limited series, Criminal Couples. If you've ever referred to your best friend or beloved as your partner in crime, this exclusive series is for you. 
Beginning February 1st, discover the radical side of romance with a collection of unlawful love stories from shows across the ParCast network. Track the nefarious exploits of Bonnie and Clyde. Meet married mafiosos Jackie and Thelma Wright. And uncover the secret lives of alleged spies Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. Fall for the most famous and feared pairs in history in the Spotify original from ParCast, Criminal Couples. Enjoy two-part episodes every Monday. Follow Criminal Couples free and exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Now back to the story. Journalist Danny Casolaro believed he'd uncovered a shadowy cabal with operatives embedded all over the world. He called it the octopus. However, Casolaro never completed his research into this mysterious organization. On August 10th, 1991, a maid discovered his body in a hotel room tub in Martinsburg, West Virginia. Authorities ruled his death a suicide. However, his friends and family claim Casalero wasn't the type of person to take his own life, especially when he was so close to a breakthrough in the octopus case. In fact, he may have been too close. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number two. Danny Casalero was murdered by the very group he was chasing. Proponents of this theory cite several irregularities in Casalero's demise. For one, the police didn't inform his family of his death for two days. In the meantime, a funeral home embalmed Casalero's body before an autopsy could be performed. When Casalero's brother finally heard the news and demanded a post-mortem, the coroner reportedly found strange bruises and unexplained painkillers in his system. Nobody could explain all these inconsistencies. For years, Casalero's death was shrouded in mystery and conspiracy. By 1993, it was featured on the TV show Unsolved Mysteries. Casalero had reached the national stage. The more people heard about Casalero's death, the greater the pressure became. Even the U.S. government got involved. When the Attorney General assigned Judge Nicholas Bua to investigate the Inslaw Promise scandal, he also ordered him to re-examine the reporter's alleged suicide. Bua's team began at square one, the physical evidence from Casalero's hotel room. Specialists reanalyzed his suicide note and verified it was the reporter's handwriting. 
the only fingerprint on it came from Casolero's right thumb. In fact, Casolero's fingerprints were the only ones found anywhere in the room, other than a single unidentifiable print under an ashtray. Crime scene photos and reconstructions of the hotel room showed no indication of a struggle. However, it's possible that Casolero was drugged and unable to put up a fight. His autopsy did show Vicodin in his system. But police found the empty bottle of Vicodin in his suitcase. It had been prescribed in 1988 after Casolero had oral surgery, and the only fingerprints on it were his. It appears he was self-medicating. That said, one odd detail is difficult to explain. The presence of the two trash bags in the tub with Casolero's body. Some researchers theorized that an assassin used them to asphyxiate the reporter. But that seems unlikely. If the suicide was staged, his assailants would have taken the bags with them. And we should mention that in interviews with Casolero's friends, they recalled that he often talked about the death of an author named Jerzy Kaczynski. He'd killed himself by tying a plastic bag over his head. It's possible Casolero was emulating him. Yes, but it's also suspicious that some of Casolero's belongings vanished. The day before his death, an informant gave Casolero sensitive information about Pentagon financials. They might have been tied to slush funds for the octopus. These files weren't there when Casolero's body was found, and neither was the rest of his research. That would be odd if it really existed. But interviews with hotel staff suggest that Casolero didn't bring any paperwork to Martinsburg. No one was certain about seeing a briefcase or documents when he checked in. The maid who cleaned his room never saw any files in the three days he was there, and nothing was missing from his office. It also appears that Casolero's meeting with this informant may have never taken place. Not only were there no witnesses to their rendezvous in the hotel parking lot, but the man's statements about the meeting were inconsistent. He told local authorities that he gave Casolero a stack of documents 18 inches high, but later he told special counsel investigators that he was just returning papers Casolero had given him weeks earlier. And overall, the informant wasn't a credible witness. In 1991, he pled guilty to making false statements to the federal government. Then, a few weeks after Casolero's death, he claimed people were coming to kill him for cooperating with the octopus investigation. Like Michael Reconosciuto, he could have been using Casolero's story in an attempt to gain leniency. But this doesn't explain why Casolero's family wasn't contacted for two days after the police found his body. In that time, Casolero was embalmed. This process could have disguised any poisons or paralytics that his possible assassins may have used. In his report, Bua admits that this error is perplexing. Casolero's next of kin should have been notified immediately. But the Martinsburg police weren't to blame. Authorities did try to find Casolero's family the day his body was discovered. Unfortunately, they lived in another state, which was out of their jurisdiction. 
So they contacted the department in Fairfax, Virginia about Casalero's death. An officer was dispatched to Casalero's residence, but he lived alone, so there was no one there. When no one came to the door, the officer deposited a business card and left. Shockingly, they didn't continue looking for any of his relatives, almost as if they didn't want anyone to know about Casalero's death. After two days without a response, the Martinsburg police finally contacted Casalero's brother and informed him of the reporter's death. While the delay was a serious mistake, it was made by the Fairfax Police Department, not the officers in Martinsburg. They had followed procedure to the letter. Still, it was odd that Martinsburg authorities allowed the body to be embalmed. Well, that usually requires consent from the next of kin. That might sound unusual, but the Martinsburg Funeral Home often performed so-called courtesy embalmings when the deceased relatives couldn't be reached. True, and the funeral home tried to find Casalero's family in good faith. Therefore, their actions weren't illegal. Furthermore, the embalming doesn't seem to have affected the autopsy results. Fluid and tissue samples were taken from Casolero's heart, bladder, and liver before these organs were embalmed. There was nothing unusual in those untainted samples. But the medical examiner did discover something surprising. Casolero had signs of nerve damage from a neurological condition known as multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis, or MS, occurs when the immune system attacks the central nervous system. The symptoms include fatigue, loss of vision, and muscle weakness. Some theorize that Casolero didn't have MS, but that he suffered from a fast-acting nerve agent that mimicked its symptoms. An assassin could have dosed Casolero in Martinsburg, knowing that a medical examiner would mistake its effects for the degenerative disease. Interviews with Casalero's friends make that seem unlikely. Weeks before his death, Casalero approached an acquaintance who was a nurse. She says he asked her for information about multiple sclerosis, and she told him there was no cure for the condition. Casalero claimed he was researching for a story, but there's nothing about the disease in his notes. It appears that he was trying to self-diagnose the symptoms he was experiencing. Other friends mentioned that in the months leading up to his death, Casolero was weaker, clumsy, and had trouble with his vision. One woman reported having a strange conversation with Casolero, where he said he was having problems gathering his thoughts. He announced, if I ever couldn't think, I'd kill myself. And Casolero's health wasn't the only thing that was deteriorating. A $178,790,000 mortgage payment was due on his home in September 1991. That's the equivalent of over $340,000 today. Casolero didn't have any income in the months leading up to his death and received several loans from family members. But it wasn't enough. He was on the verge of losing everything. Despite these looming obstacles, his family maintained that he was in high spirits, he was optimistic about his investigation into the octopus, and his brother and parents said there was absolutely no signs he was suffering from depression or suicidal ideation. 
To get to the bottom of Casolero's emotional state, Special Counsel Bua turned to the FBI's National Center for the Analysis of Violent Crime. They asked specialists there to perform a psychological autopsy on Casolero. Law enforcement often uses this procedure to reconstruct a victim's mentality leading up to their death. Three FBI behavioral scientists reviewed all the witness statements from Casolero's friends and family. They also went through his personal notes and research with a fine-tooth comb. They determined that while Casolero wore the facade of the eternal optimist, he was still under extreme financial, personal, and professional stress. He desperately needed to pay off the loan on his house, but no publisher would advance cash for his book. This alone would have put Casolero in a very vulnerable position. The diagnosis of multiple sclerosis may have pushed him over the edge. That's all compelling, but it doesn't explain why Casolero received anonymous threatening phone calls for weeks leading up to his death. True, but whenever friends suggested Casolero contact the phone company to block them, he changed the subject. Almost as if he didn't want the calls to stop. It's possible that they never even happened. The behavioral scientists suspected that Casolero planted the seeds of conspiracy. They hypothesized he was considering taking his own life and wanted his friends and family to have doubts about his death. This uncertainty would help ease the guilt they may feel for not preventing his suicide. And yet, these threatening phone calls couldn't have all been lies. The day Casolero's body was found, someone called his home and told his housekeeper, quote, I will cut his body and throw it to the sharks. And someone called Dan Bischoff at the Village Voice before authorities announced Casolero's death. They told him to look into the disappearance of a reporter in West Virginia. Bischoff has stated that he believes Casolero died of suicide, but he has no explanation for the strange phone call. That's one aspect of the mystery we may never have an answer to. It's possible that someone wanted Casolero dead, but there isn't any evidence they acted on that desire. For that reason, I don't believe he was murdered. I give this theory a 2 out of 10. I'd give it a 4 out of 10. I believe Casolero made dangerous enemies during his investigation. People who had no qualms about eliminating reporters who asked too many questions. That said, there is some doubt about the validity of Casolero's work. It's possible that the organization he was chasing didn't exist at all. And Casolero may have been the one perpetuating a cover-up. Coming up, we explore whether Casolero's investigation was worth dying for. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Hear that? 
Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Now, back to the story. In 1990, an investigative reporter named Danny Casalero developed his theory of the octopus. He spent a year researching their operations and wanted to compile his findings in an expose. This book detailed the creation of the octopus and their role in events like the Bay of Pigs invasion, the JFK assassination, and Ronald Reagan's ascent to the presidency. Casalero told friends he'd lined up a deal with a big publisher and was writing articles for Time magazine. It seemed he was poised to reveal one of the 20th century's most closely guarded secrets. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number three, that Danny Casalero uncovered the secrets of the octopus. Casalero spent hundreds of hours talking to key figures in the intelligence community. His contacts included Howard Hunt, a major player in the Watergate scandal, the Bay of Pigs, and dozens of other infamous CIA operations. Casalero also worked closely with Robert Booth Nichols, an alleged associate of the Gambino crime family and a possible CIA operative. The reporter's office in Virginia was filled with pages of notes, diagrams, and phone numbers. The crux of his theory was that several figures kept popping up over and over again in these world events. He deduced this wasn't a coincidence. They were all octopus agents. The only way to stop them was to publish an explosive expose. In his book proposal, Casalero wrote, quote, a series of articles and a book, a true crime narrative that unravels a web of thugs and thieves who roam the earth with their weapons and their murders, trading dope and dirty money for the secrets of the temple. He never completed the manuscript, but Casolero created a detailed treatment for his book. It was titled, Behold, a Pale Horse. This was a reference to the biblical passage from the book of Revelation. Behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And to hear Casalero tell it, publishers were falling over themselves to buy it. He told friends and family that one company, called Little Brown, gave him a large advance. Plus, Time magazine was paying him to write an article on the octopus, they even offered to finance a trip so Casalero could investigate various operations firsthand. The problem was, it was all a lie. Despite Casalero's claims, no one in the literary community found his evidence very compelling. Between 1990 and 1991, he met with several publishers and book agents. None of them were interested in his proposal. They called his work amateur and unprofessional. Some thought his project had potential, but it wasn't ready for publication. Others believed that Casalero's book would never see the light of day. Though he met with Little Brown Publishing, they didn't buy his proposal. 
And the editor he spoke with, Roger Donald, was particularly skeptical of Casolero's theory. In an interview, Donald said, I could write this outline. I could say, there have been the following crimes, and list them. Maybe Casolero was onto something, but he sure couldn't express it. Time Magazine's offer also wasn't real. Donald said he told Casolero to contact Time Warner's magazine division. The publisher thought they might be interested in Casolero's work, but warned they'd probably have him collaborate with a staff writer to develop the story. And Casolero refused to give up that much control over his narrative. Casolero received criticism in the intelligence community as well. Every time he discovered new information, he brought it to a family friend, a former NSA staff officer named Arthur Weinfield. He wanted Weinfield's opinion on how each piece fit into the puzzle that was the octopus. But according to Weinfield, most of this information was garbage. It usually didn't come from a verified source and rarely seemed relevant. Casolero's theory hinged on the fact that certain individuals in the international community were secretly working together. Therefore, most of the evidence he brought Weinfield was circumstantial. For example, he'd find travel records demonstrating that two operatives were in Paris the same week. To Casolero, this suggested a clandestine meeting. To Weinfield, it was just a coincidence. In an interview with the Washington Post, Weinfield said he never seriously believed the octopus theory. He told Casolero he was creating a conspiracy where there was none, but the reporter didn't listen. He remained as enthusiastic and optimistic as ever. That said, excerpts from Casolero's notes show that even he found gaps in his theory. In one passage from his unfinished manuscript, he wrote, Why did the octopus come off the ocean floor for the Iran hostage crisis? Since Reagan was not a favored son of the octopus, why did it work so hard to ensure his election in the 1980s? And if an author doesn't believe his own reasoning, it's hard to convince anyone else to get on board. After his death, one editor said, I'll tell you this, anybody who killed him over that manuscript made a mistake. That was not a book that was going to be published. Casolero's grand theory about the octopus was extraordinary and expansive. But as the astronomer Carl Sagan once said, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And in my opinion, the evidence Casolero provided doesn't meet that standard. Casolero may not have had enough proof to convince a publishing house to print the book, but that doesn't mean it's not true. He spent hundreds of hours interviewing people, reviewing documents, and following the webs of this conspiracy. It's hard to believe he was entirely wrong. But it's also possible he latched onto the narrative first, then cherry-picked facts to support his conclusions. His friend Weinfield even mentioned that at one point, Casolero considered fictionalizing his book, turning it into a spy thriller. That's not something you do if you're trying to expose a real-life conspiracy. It seems like he cared more about the story than reality. That's true. 
but I still think the connections Castellero made are more than coincidence. For that reason, I give this theory a 4 out of 10. Like Castellero's publishers, I'm not convinced. I give this theory a 3 out of 10. There isn't enough evidence to support the allegations, especially when they're as far-reaching as the octopus. Whether the conspiracy exists or not, the investigation cost Casolero his life. The behavioral scientists who performed his psychological autopsy proposed that it may have motivated Casolero's suicide. Perhaps Casolero had doubts about the octopus. He feared his investigation would never be taken seriously. There wasn't enough evidence, so he decided to create some his own death. Casolero may have believed that by making his suicide look mysterious, he could find the validation he sought as a journalist. If the public believed he'd been killed by the octopus, then the story he'd spent so much time chasing would outlive him. If he couldn't stir up intrigue and controversy in life, then maybe he could do it in death. And for once, Danny Casolero was right. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Of the many sources we used, we found The Octopus, Secret Government and Death of Danny Casolero by Ken Thomas and Jim Keith to be the most helpful in our research. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Until then, remember the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Evan McGahee, with writing assistance by Angela Jorgensen and Allie Wicker. Fact-checking by Anya Bailey and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. Listeners, don't forget to check out the new ParCast limited series, Criminal Couples. From apocalyptic cult leaders to bank-robbing bandits, these couples give new meaning to Till Death Do Us Part. Enjoy two-part episodes every Monday starting February 1st. Follow Criminal Couples free and exclusively on Spotify.